All right, this morning, uh, two purposes. One is to hear from Jesus, what he has to say to us from Romans chapter 13, and then second, to, um, to go ahead and equip you to resist some lies. This, this coming year is going to lie to us. It is going to tell us that we should worship government. The year is going to tell us again and again and again to believe that there is no power higher than politics. The coming year is going to lie to us. It's going to tell us that politics is a way to win. It is a way to make sure uh, that, that we pick sides. And uh, once we've chosen a side, make sure that our side comes out ahead of your side. This year is going to lie to us. It's going to tell us that lie over and over and over again. And this year is going to tell us the lie that it is impossible to love people you disagree with. Those things aren't true. (laughs) What if there is a truth better and stronger and deeper than those lies? What, what if Jesus has been sent to us as God's living word and he wants to reveal to us better truths than those from God's written word, the scriptures? That's where we find ourselves this morning, getting ready to hear truth that comes to us when we walk with Jesus. We're going to hear it this morning from Romans chapter 13. Tom, will you come read for us? Thank you. Today's scripture reading is from Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 10. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love the Lord your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the Lord, of the fulfilling of the law, excuse me. This is the word of the Lord. I'll take a moment and pray for us. And um, if one of you stole the clicker I used to advance the slides, could you bring it back? I can't find it. I'll pray for us. 
Lord, thank you for speaking truth to us. Um, the temperature in the room just went up a few degrees. We got anxious. Here is scripture talking about governing authority in um, a climate of real hostility politically um, in, a, in a year when we'll vote to elect many governing authorities. And some of us are worried. We're anxious. We're concerned about what happens in the next half hour. <laughs> Lord, instead make us excited that what's going to happen in the next half hour is, is the servant Lord who reigns over all things, Jesus himself, is going to draw near and comfort and strengthen us. Help us to trust that that's what's about to happen. Give us wisdom to hear every word he has for us today. And give me wisdom to speak no word except the words that Jesus has for us. And together we say, amen. All right, uh, so I want to recommend some practical purposes uh, today, some practical approaches to working out what this scripture says to us about a way to honor God without worshiping government. Um, and I want to recommend some books that you should read, not just yourself, but read with other people, read and discuss with other people. I think that would be helpful for us to do in the coming months. But I know how this works. If I tell you right now what these books are, Google is a thing. Maybe you've heard of it. And I lost you. Right? Like if I tell you right now what these books are, in fact, some of you are like, I, I bet I can search for an image. I bet I can look it up. I'm going to hide them behind this monitor. So you can't do that. No, I'm going to trust you. Hang on. I'll, uh, hang in there. We'll, we'll talk about those later. I promise. Just don't want to lose you to the Google monster just yet. All right? I want us to unpack these lies that we are going to hear over and over and over again. We've named one of them already. It's the lie that there is no power higher than politics. Every day we're going to hear that signal. Every day this year, somebody's going to send us that signal. It's not true. Let's start here. There is a God whose power is higher than politics. That, that's one of the takeaways from Romans chapter 13. Now, the Roman view, uh, during the days that the Apostle Paul wrote this, obeying the call of Jesus through his Holy Spirit to write these things down, the Roman view was that Caesar is a God. And here is Paul saying, no, 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 no. Governing authorities are in but under authority at the same time. They have authority over the people who live under their rule, but they are under God's authority. Listen to the descriptions, right? Um, verse 4, he, using, using the uh, uh, sort of personification, as, as though government could be personified as an individual, right? He is God's servant for your good. He is God's, another way to translate that word is, is agent. 
He is responsible to carry out God's purposes and intentions. We'll talk more about those in a moment. The verse goes on to say again, he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now, why why would the Apostle Paul be talking about that? Well, it's because he's already described love as one of the patterns of the Christian life back in Romans chapter 12. And he said that love extends even to people who harm us and curse us and persecute us. Right? He says that Romans 12, 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse them. And, and then he says in verse 17 that, you know what? I know in the same way that I know you, Google is a thing, revenge is a thing. There is this tendency to want to repay people evil for evil. Verse 17 of chapter 12, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, even when someone does evil to you. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. And then verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Don't seek revenge. Don't seek retaliation. Leave it to God and His wrath to punish the one who has done evil to you. And so, what we're hearing here is one of... One of the ways we can trust God to restrain evil in this world so that we don't have to kind of police the world ourselves through this cycle of retaliation and vengeance and revenge is that God will use governing authorities to carry out justice when someone has done evil. Now, this is not everything Scripture has to say about government and political leaders and rulers. There's more to be said. This is a generic principle. The Apostle Paul knows very well that the Roman Empire doesn't always get justice right. He himself has been falsely imprisoned multiple times. He himself has been beaten for no reason multiple times. He preaches about a crucified Messiah who was innocent and yet killed by the empire. He knows that governing authorities don't always get it right. We build up that part of the story from other parts of Scripture. But here, telling us, hey, what if someone does evil and I'm afraid they will just get away with it? He's reminding us, now, God has built something into the fabric of the universe to make sure that that doesn't happen and you don't have to go out and seek vengeance yourself. Um. And those authorities are answerable to God himself. They are his agents, his servants. Uh, Later in verse 6, he says the authorities are ministers of God. There is a God whose power is higher than politics. That should comfort all of us. That's one of the key takeaways of what Jesus is saying to us today through the Scriptures. Here's a God who's higher than politics. Um, you're going to hear that lie repeatedly in the year to come, that, that politics is the higher, highest power there is. And here we know when we walk with Jesus, we get to say, you know what? People can ask for my vote. I can give my support to a party. 
but I'm going to give my heart to God. And that's going to change everything. It's going to change the way I think about everything. There's a God whose power is higher than politics. Remember that every time you hear that lie in the coming year. All right, next. We've already hinted at this. God calls governing authorities to promote common grace purposes. Some of you are going, wait a minute, you said that a couple of years ago. I flatter myself that you remember sermons I preached a couple of years ago. But we did this four-week sermon series called uh, Gospel and Government, and, and we spent a couple weeks looking at Romans 13. So if some of this seems familiar, good. And I'm, I'm leaning real hard right now on a, a Hungarian philosopher named Michael Polanyi who talks about tacit knowledge, how you know something, but you don't know how you know it. So, so that lets me feel good about you remembering that sermon, even though you don't remember it. That it somehow bounces around and shapes your soul even if you can't recall it. I'm good with that. Can we just let me live in my little fantasy world, okay? God calls governing authorities to promote common grace purposes. Common grace is a label that Christian theologians over centuries have given to this, this biblical understanding that, that God shows His grace in more than one way. There is a special kind of grace that, that brings us into his family so that we become his children and will be his children forever. And, and that grace brings redemption to us. And, and the people who receive that kind of grace have their hearts awakened by the Holy Spirit to, to faith in Jesus. And we receive all kinds of God's goodness in this life and in the life that is to come. All of his goodness, infinite unbounded, lasting forever. That's God's saving grace. But then common grace is, is, the, is the goodness that God shows to everyone, whether they believe in Him or not. The goodness that Jesus says causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike. The goodness that God shows to people who may not ever honor Him in their lives. He still shows goodness, common grace. It's called common not because it's, you know, kind of worthless, but common because it's shared with everyone, regardless of whether they believe that God exists or, or even with people who say, yeah, I think God exists. I just think he's irrelevant. I think it doesn't matter. God says, I'll still show my goodness to them in this way. So let me just pause for a moment of application right now. If, if you if you aren't a follower of Jesus or you're not sure where you stand right now, maybe once you were, but you're kind of pulling back, maybe you're wondering whether to lean in to faith in Jesus more seriously, I just want to say to you, if you're considering that, you're not considering whether to go from no experience of God's goodness to experiencing God's goodness through Jesus. You're already experiencing God's goodness. His common grace, goodness, is operating in your life already. So, as Christians, we're just inviting you to take the next step in that. Come into the next form of His goodness. 
His saving grace, His redeeming grace. You're not coming out of no grace into grace. You're, you're coming out of one experience of His goodness and grace to a fuller experience of His goodness and grace. Maybe that will help you in your exploration of faith in Jesus. Um, how do governing authorities do this? Well, Romans 13 names two ways. One is by encouraging good and restraining evil. We already talked about sort of vengeance and revenge, right? So one purpose of civil government, governing authorities, is to encourage people to, to find peaceful ways to resolve conflict and to restrain these kind of cycles of, I'm going to take justice into my own hands, and it's a free-for-all, right? To think less dramatically, there are a lot of policies that change in a country like ours every four to eight years. Aren't you glad that this year we're not voting on whether red means go or stop? Aren't you glad that traffic laws don't cycle in and out every four to eight years? That we're not voting on what do you do on yellow, right? We're not voting on is it good to drive drunk or not? Right? One of the things that governing authorities do is uh, to encourage good, encourage people to learn how to drive a car before they start driving a car, get a driver's license. Uh, governing authorities encourage us to take turns at traffic lights. Don't everybody try to go at once. Don't block the box. <laughs> governing authorities discourage DUI. They discourage reckless driving. These are good things, and those should benefit everybody. How do we know that? Look at chapter 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Okay, that's our rule. Every person has to respect legitimate authority that God has placed over us. But the governing authorities have to hear that call. Every person Right, Government exists to promote common grace purposes, to encourage good things that would benefit everyone who lives under their rule, um, and to restrain evil, not in ways that show partiality toward just one group or one social class. Like, hey, if you're rich, we will be all about restraining evil for you. But if you're poor, we don't care. Governing authorities are put in place by God to promote common grace purposes. That's the answer to the lie that says politics is a way to win. Politics is a way to make sure our side comes out ahead of your side. So when, when you adopt that kind of thinking about politics and government, you're kind of already on the way to dividing the world up into two camps and saying politics and government ought to benefit this group more than that group. Whereas God says every person, that culture war, we win, you lose, winner take all posture, it has already divided the world up and said if we play this game right, Things will go better for us than for someone else. 
the winners will benefit more than the losers. Even the language of culture war shapes that kind of mentality, doesn't it? You are the enemy. We are at war. We will defeat you. You are evil. Or maybe you're not evil, you're just too stupid to know what's good. So we will win the war, we will defeat you, and then things will, well, they'll just turn out better for our side than your side. Sorry, but that's the way the game goes. That is the way that our culture, that is the way that the human heart, apart from God's goodness, will interpret politics and government every time. And it's a lie. God has called governing authorities to promote common grace purposes, not to be at war with one group of its citizens and on the side of another, to encourage what is good and to restrain what is evil in ways that are good for everyone who lives under their rule. Now, some of you are miles ahead of me and you're going, wait a second, wait a second, that sounds pretty naive and simplistic. Believe me, there are like seven more sermons waiting to be delivered another time this year to shed more light on this and to say how this common grace approach differs from four other approaches. We don't have time for all that this morning. What we have time for this morning is, is just to say that um, we're talking here about a posture and not a policy. I just make a deal with you. You don't ever have to wonder when I'm preaching or teaching if I am trying to subversively, subtly endorse a candidate or promote a specific political posture or policy. I will tell you, if I want to endorse a candidate, I will say their name. If I feel that God has called me, especially in the preaching function in worship, to endorse a particular policy, I will tell you, so you don't have to decode things that I say. I, have, I think it is very small chance that I will ever be called to do that, <laughs> okay? As, I don't see that as part of my calling. But I just want to set you free from having to decode stuff, right? That some of the books I'm going to recommend, people are like, oh, I can decode. The secret signal here is... There's no secret signal. Posture versus policy. I'm not trying to endorse some policy. I am simply saying that the posture that God is calling us to is one that is clearly about common grace. What is good for all people? In adopting a posture of war, you are my enemy and I want you to lose, is really hard to square with, I want what is good for all people. This sounds naive. I know it gets complicated. Look, are we going to put a highway here or not? If we put the highway right here, it's going to be good for some people and probably bad for other people. 
So what's the Christian policy? I don't know. I don't know how to balance out all the math of what's good for some but not all and and the compromise that goes into that. But the posture, I do know. The posture is even if I disagree about where to put the highway, you should know that I want what is good for as many people as possible. And that's going to lead us down some hard paths and I know it. Our unborn people People, do governing authorities have to do what is good for unborn people? How about undocumented people? Are they people who live under the rule of governing authorities? How do the governing authorities promote what is good for incarcerated people? These are complicated questions. Will we ever, in our society find perfect agreement on all of those complexities? No, but don't let the complexities overwhelm this posture. God wants good things, even for people who do not know him, who do not honor him, who do not love him. And he calls governing authorities to have kind of a similar posture. Pursuing what is good for every person. It's hard. It is hard. The posture that says, I don't care, I just want to win, makes it really hard to have that kind of concern for all people. All right, so what policy or candidate or party was I endorsing in a subtle way by saying those things? I hope you know the answer. None. I don't have a hidden agenda. I hope I'll find the courage to say those things clearly if God ever calls me to say them. Today, this is the thing I'm called to say clearly. All right, one more. God's love for us is the power for loving people we disagree with. You'll notice that chapter 13 As it begins, verses 1 through 7 talk about governing authorities and especially how governing authorities function to restrain evil. And that kind of encourages you when you're back in chapter 12 and saying someone just did me wrong and I want revenge. I want to repay evil for evil. And God is saying, hold on, slow down. I got somebody for that. I got this government structure that when it's working right, means evil is being restrained by someone else and you don't have to go take revenge yourself. But it's in the context of talking about love. We move directly from talking about love in chapter 12 to talking about governing authorities for a few verses of chapter 13, right back to verse 8, Oh, nothing to anyone except love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The law of the land? No, God's law. All of this is in the context of a response of love. But what is, that, what is that love response responding to? Well, if we were to go back to Romans chapter 12, the very beginning, all of chapters 12 through 15 are telling us how to live in response to God's mercies. God's 
love shown to us. First in his common grace, but then in the grace of sending Jesus to redeem us. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. God's love for us is the power for loving people we disagree with. One of the lies you're going to hear over and over and over again this year is that it's impossible to love people you disagree with. Come on, I have to adopt the cultural war posture because they just hate me. How do I know they hate me? They disagree with me. I know there's no way that they could love me or I could love them because we disagree about some important things. God disagreed with me and you. And yet he loved us by sending his son Jesus. If you read Romans, it tells us while we were still God's enemies, while we were still opposed to worshiping God because we wanted to worship ourselves, God sent his son for us. While we didn't fully agree with him, he loved us. That's the paradigm and the power for believers in Jesus to say, I can love people who disagree with me even when they disagree with me about very, very deep realities. Back in chapter 7, the Apostle Paul said that when, when you don't know God, you hate his commandments. You don't want him telling you what to do. You hate his commandments. You can't do anything different from that. You might agree with the content of the commandments. I don't want to be murdered. How about you? But I hate the fact that he's the one giving it. I want to be the one giving it. I want somebody else to give it. I don't want him to be the one telling me how to live my life. And then something happens when we walk with Jesus. God changes our thinking, and so the Apostle Paul can start to say, hey, when you love people, you're fulfilling all of God's commandments. You know, the ones like, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet. Governing authorities can't touch that one, can they? They aren't real good at promoting policies that restrain covetousness and greed. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. We're now back in territory where governing authorities, this is not a common grace purpose. <laughs> Restraining theft? Yes, common grace. Restraining murder? Yes, common grace. We're having a real hard time right now coming up with common grace agreement about what constitutes adultery and what doesn't. Welcome to the messiness. The calling of the church is clear. But do you see, there was a time when each of us hated God telling us that. We didn't agree with him, and he loved us anyway. We didn't agree with him about adultery and murder and theft and covetousness. We didn't agree that he had the right to tell us those things are evil. And he loved us anyway. That's the power for loving people we disagree with. So don't believe the lie. Politics is the greatest power in the world. No, it's not true. Don't believe the lie that says it's all, you know, we got to win. Somebody's got to lose. There is such a thing as common grace. It doesn't have to be that way. And don't believe the lie that says you can't love people you disagree with. All right, so how do we turn this into reality? We start with a picture of heavy 
practical steps to cultivating this kind of common grace posture. If you don't know Hebe, Hebe is like the sixth child in our family. We have four children. We have a son-in-law, and we have Hebe. Hebe is uh, Patch's truck. Don't ever call it an SUV. It's a truck. I won't bore you with um, all the details of what kind of truck it is. When you look at Heavy, you know he is on the way to somewhere. And it ain't a suburban shopping mall, you know, to sit in the Aldi parking lot for a minute. Heavy is not going to Trader Joe's. Heavy is going to where the asphalt ends. Heavy is going where the mud is. Heavy is going to where the rocks are. He is on the way to somewhere. And the moment you see him, it's unmistakably clear. So here's a question for us in the coming year. What am I on the way to? If other people interacted with me and had conversations with me, especially if they had conversations with me about anything related to politics or government or the common good for our society, would they know what I'm on the way to? Would they know clearly unmistakable clarity? Because there's so much dust of Jesus all over me and and weaving itself down into every crack of my frame that they would know I am on the way to honoring God Governing authorities, even when they don't share my faith, my values, my commitments. The Apostle Paul is in the Roman Empire saying to Christians, because God rules over everything, there's, there's even an appropriate way to honor Caesar when Caesar says he's a God. You cannot honor him as a God but when he says pay the tax bill, pay the tax bill. If Caesar starts to promote what's evil, you can't participate in that. But where he promotes what's good, honor him for that. Where he restrains what's evil, honor him for that. It's going to be hard. It's going to be complicated. You can't just blanket endorse everything Caesar does or says. But pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Following Jesus gives you the freedom to do that. Would people know that we're on the way to loving our neighbors? Even our neighbors who don't share our faith and our commitments and our values. Would they know that? Would it be clear? Would would the dust of common grace and the dust of Jesus, our Redeemer, take up on us so thick that people would go, I don't understand why you love people who don't share your faith and your values and your commitments, but I just can't get away from the fact that you do. Would they know that we're on the way to that kind of love? Would they know that we're on the way to embracing our fellow Christians whose politics are different from our own? Christians who share our faith and values and commitments, but who lean into 
political issues differently. Would that be unmistakably clear? That's going to become more clear for us as we get to Romans chapters 14 and 15. All right, finally, some books for you to read. Don't just sit and read this by yourself. Maybe that's better than nothing. But man, I think it would be great to read books like this and discuss them with other people. So here we go. Uh, David Coises, Political Visions and Illusions. Pastor Tim Keller uh, from New York recommended this book all the time. That's how I uh, came to know of it. Um, Coises is going to rock your world because he's going to tell you that political ideologies that you hate have some good things about them, some things that God's Word says are good. Even a chapter about nationalism says, you know what? There's some good roots behind nationalism. What? Yeah. And then he says, and here's what happens when you turn that good thing into an idol. Here's how nationalism crashes and fails because it exalts those good things and treats them like a god. So your favorite ideology, what's wrong when you treat it like an idol and it becomes a god in your life? The ideology you hate the most, what's good about it? Be ready to be challenged. Amazing book. Thicker, take some time to work through. David Platt, Seven Christians Every Christian Should Ask Before You Vote. The name of the book is Before You Vote. Seven questions every Christian should ask. Uh, one of them is, um, what does my neighbor need? One of them is, who has my heart? And he even starts at the beginning going, does God even call me to vote? Not all Christians even agree on that. Great way to get ready to vote. Is he going to tell you who to vote for? No. He's going to tell you what party has all the answers? No. Are there people who are going to say he does that? Yes. Is the way hey, he pastors in Washington, D.C., president showed up, said, will you pray for me during the worship service? The way he handled that made a bunch of people mad. Might make you mad. It's okay. Read it anyway. <laughs> Jonathan Lehman and Andy Nacelli, how can I love church members with different politics? Now, some of you are going, I hate to read. I'm never going to read that big thing. All right. <laughs> this is your speed. How can I love church members with different politics? Read those. T talk them through with other people. If you have the opportunity, talk them through with people that you don't see eye to eye with about really important things. And the whole time you're doing that, ask God to keep telling you truth, even as every day you're going to hear lie after lie after lie telling you that something other than the grace and love of God that shows itself most clearly in the work of Jesus Christ is the most powerful thing in this universe.